and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, non-conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, welcome to Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name is Damien B. Donnelly and I'm absolutely thrilled that you've joined us today, tomorrow or whenever it is you've tuned in on your preferred podcast platform, whether that is Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Overcast, Pocketcast, CastBox, Podcast Addicts or iTunes. We have had an exceptional season of incredibly talented poets so far on season five. And today is no exception. We have six poets, five of whom are based here in Ireland. And then at the end, we're taking a cheeky trip across the Atlantic Ocean to settle down with our final guest in the United States. So what more is there to say other than take your seats, grab your drink, make sure the cake is sliced and the feet are up. This is Eat the Storms and I hope you enjoy the show. I am delighted to welcome our first guest to the podcast today who recently welcomed myself and Eileen de Poire to their poetry evening that she hosts here in Dublin with fellow Irish poet Fiona Bulger called Who Let the Books Out? This guest was born and bred here in Dublin, has three collections to her name and the latest of which from Salmon Poetry was published in July 2022. The exquisite collection of Home, Hope and Connection called 26 Letters of a New Alphabet. Currently working on her fourth collection along with a very helpful literary bursary from the Arts Council, I am thrilled to hand you over to Anne Tannum. Hello, my name is Anne Tannum. I'm a Dublin poet and I'm going to read a selection of poems from my latest collection, my third collection, 26 Letters of a New Alphabet. It's taken until now to tune into the miraculous presence of birds. I knew there were birds before I'd heard them singing. Not like this, not like the earth depended on it. Finally, I've got round to learning the name of the tree that grows on the footpath outside our house. It's a sycamore. And last year, someone gave me the gift of a hazel cutting, which I carried home on the back of my bike before throwing it in the corner of the garage where it lay unwatered for six months before the man of the house took it upon himself to dig a random hole in our front garden and plant it there. When I turned 52 last October, I saw the knee-high hazel cutting planted there in our front garden and took to watering it every week, took to chatting with it, took to admiring its tightly held secrets. Until one morning in spring, I opened my eyes and there where once was only brown, 26 letters of a new alphabet unfurled in green, the answer to a question I've been too afraid to ask. And that's the poem that inspired the the title of the whole collection. And the the collection is, is divided up into seven sections, which is unusual. My previous two collections didn't have sections, but the poems insisted on arranging themselves around a kind of a cluster and uh, so that 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 poem actually is split into three um and, and and straddles the full collection so one of the 
sections is, I suppose, exploring the, the, the question of home and, and, and how we relate to that. Um, I'm going to read a, a poem from that, that um, section called Don't Look Back. The haversack smells of aniseed and lemons. She breathes deeply, eyes closed, shutting out the sound of their village uprooting. He moves from room to room, memorising each length and breath, locking doors behind him. She takes the stairs two steps at a time, child held tightly in her arms. After the border, where will we go? His mouth searches for an answer, eyes running for cover as the front door opens, emptying them out onto unfamiliar streets. Another section of the book uh, looks at how, how the world relates to females and, and what it's like to be a female in a world that is often quite unequal. And I wrote this poem in response to a call out for an anthology called Autonomy, which came out to support Repeal the Eighth. It was edited by Cathy Darcy and New Binary Press um, published it. A reasonable request. She's free to go anywhere she desires in the castle, except one little room. One small room off limits, that's not much to ask. One little room. Everywhere else she is free to go. Everything else is hers to enjoy. Endless rooms to decorate as she pleases. Beautiful gardens to explore with friends. See how much she is willing to give her. See how far he is willing to go. One little room. Not too much to ask. Never mind his terrible beard. Never mind the rest of the story. Another section of the book, I suppose, articulates and expresses uh, the relationship I had with my lovely dad, who died during the, the writing of this book. Um, and and, and so that the relationship we have with an elderly par- parent who there's a switch where we become the parent in a lot of ways and they become the child. Into the garden, we went, found a place to sit under a tree facing the February sun, sat there together, faces upturned, soaking up the heat. A breeze came, lifted away the word dementia, placing instead in our mouths the scent of vowels of a lavender bush, the yellow song of a late season daffodil. Another section of the book, uh, I suppose, explores and celebrates the uh, the, the the aging, the 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 the, the, so the coming of age, menopause, and and the crone energy, beginning to to be uh, realised, uh, which is both a terrifying and wonderful thing. Um, and I'm going to read a poem, a very short poem called Trade Off. Awake half the night, hot flushes. The steep hormonal rise and fall I could well do without. But it's a small price to pay for this bounty. The universe leaning across the table, gesturing with both hands, eager to fill me in.
connection on our relationship as humans with the earth and uh, I wrote a poem called The Poet Transformed into Anger uh, after Vanni Capodeo which in some way articulates the growing frustration with how we are relating to the earth and other animals. There I was hollowed out reckless demanding appeasement burrowing into the flesh of peaches scorching furrows into stone teeth gritted always restless always looking for the weakest spot to chisel chisel plunge into blood flecked indentations grinding growling grinning reaching for the hell the harrowing sensation of crunch crack severed in two. Oh love now there is nothing left but ache ache location unknown and finally i'm going to read a poem that is from the last section of the book which is after the this was the grief um around my my dad dying and and the, that realization of, of of how present death is in all of our lives there was also a deep deepening of an appreciation for life so i'm going to leave you with this and thank you so much for listening and it's called picking figs she rings me in the early evening my firstborn lately flown the nest to tell me they've been picking figs from trees growing on his father's land she tells me of their plans to make fig jam i let the phrase settle in my ear say it to myself to taste it on my tongue Close my eyes, see a table set for breakfast, the winter Spanish sun still warm across the walls and tiles, the two of them sitting in easy silence, one drinking the last of freshly squeezed orange juice, the other spreading fig jam and crusty bread, days of such mornings behind them, days of such mornings ahead. Our next guest today is from Cork here in Ireland, but is bringing us on a train ride around Europe thanks to his chapbook, Train Poems, published by Dark 30 Press. He's the author of two collections of short stories from Riversong Books called The Book of Revelations from 2019 and If You Are Reading This, Then Drink Water from 2020. The winner of the Cork Arts from the Well short story competition, he has a debut non-fiction coming out in November from Book Hub Publishing, a collection of essays on mental health called Lonely Boy. I'm delighted to hand you over to Dara Fleming. Hello, my name is Dara Fleming. Uh, I'm a poet and writer from Cork in Ireland. I have poems and short stories in kind of a lot of different literary magazines, but recently my chapbook was um, published by Dark 30 Poetry in the UK. Uh, the chapbook's called Poems Are Written on Trains But Weren't Written About Trains. And this chapbook was written, as you might imagine, on trains uh, during a nine-week trip throughout Europe is when I wrote the first draft of these poems. Um, so all the poems kind of have names, usually of just the train I was on at that time. But... I yeah I just really like the opportunity to to read from 
this work as it's it's new work and hopefully uh, people will enjoy it and I just want to thank uh, you for the opportunity uh, to be on the Eat the Storms podcast um, I listen to it quite often and there's a lot of amazing um, writers and poets that are on this podcast so the opportunity is amazing um, so I suppose without further ado we'll just crack into it you know so there are 19 poems in total so I don't think I'll get through them all but I'll read you a, f- a flavouring of them and hopefully you can get a gist of, of what was going on throughout the trip it's kind of a lot of wanderlust figuring out who I was on the trip I fell in love, I fell out of love it's quite you know, dramatic and traumatic and lovely and beautiful and it was a really really important time in my life so here we go this first poem is called Donde esta la cerveza you'd imagine a fellow would try to learn the language instead of stumbling around as if in the dark The few words known sticking to the lips like glue with a look of pure confusion on the faces of all participants. Most languages, you'll surely know, were not designed to be spoken in an Irish accent. Just point us towards the nearest bar so we can sit quietly and sip from the few words we do know as we ponder our own mortification. All right. Uh, so this next poem is called Eight Minutes Before the Train from Barcelona to Lyon on a Monday. As I said, very specifically named poems about trains. Uh, I've always had an affinity with magpies for some reason. Uh, they've always been like a prominent feature in my life. And one day I was having coffee with my friend in Barcelona and the magpie just dropped down out of nowhere. And I realised that magpies aren't very common in Spain and everyone around was kind of taking pictures of the bird and it kind of prompted this poem. So... Eight minutes before the train from Barcelona to Leon on a Monday. In the city of dogs, I swear that a magpie followed me here from home. It hopped and skipped around our feet, and we threw gorgeous thick breadcrumbs to it, while an older man with leather skin took its picture. Pictures of a bird considered a pest in the countries it comes from, And it struck me then how exotic is simply a subjective form of adoration and how there is wonder right in front of you and I in this moment right now. It is there if you and I could only open our eyes to the world and see it earnestly. The eternal wonder and magic to be found in something as mundane as a black and white magpie. This next poem is called My Favourite Thing About Venice. My favourite thing about Venice is already clear despite never having been there. It is not the canals or the Rialto or the gondolas. It is not the food or the culture or the islands. My favourite thing about Venice is her, her accent and the way she smiles, the way she says my name while squeezing my hand in hers. And how she says she hates me, but really means something contrasting. I've never been there, but my favourite thing about Venice is her. And continuing with the themes of train poems, this is called the 11-20-22. I made no sense, sorry. The 11-22 to Budapest. The train has now pulled away from Bratislava. I only got to catch a glimpse. 
I keep falling asleep, but then my head drops, causing me to awaken again like someone who is falling out of bed during the fitful night. A familiar sadness sits next to me, asking questions about where we're going and why I am currently 26 years and 363 days old, skirting the borders of Austria and Slovakia. Other passengers have come and gone from compartment 5 of coach 368, but I have remained. I am here for the long haul, breaching the night on a train forged from silver sunlight, and there are things to be talked about, but there is no rush to do it just yet. Thirteen thirty four direct to Poznan. I've come to the conclusion after far too many nights of drunken sin that you do not have me fully nor forever. I am recklessly evasive and have never existed ever any differently. I will hurt you. This is inevitable. It will hurtle through the darkness, a high speed terror aimed at you, simply because I cannot control the urge to look elsewhere for love. Right, so I'll finish up with uh, last two poems. I haven't read all of the poems in the chapbook, but I've read enough of them that you get an idea for it. So this second last one is called The Reasons This Wasn't Love. It was on a Monday night in Berlin during December when my heart gave up and I died inside a pint glass in a hostel not far from the river between the S-Bahn station and a Christmas market where tourists shopped for late presents and drank hot wine as the bitter wind glazed in over the water like the icy breath of a great and terrifying bird, causing the gloveless hands of children to turn red before it turned up in my face as I stood against it, leaning on the hostel's wall, and wondered why you betrayed me and why I'd lied to you before I turned again and lost my thoughts in another pint and smiled at another girl and failed to change once again. This last one is called The Delayed 1020 from Bergamo to Dublin. I'd never seen the Alps before, and I've never met so many people who I'll miss so dearly and likely never see again. Stretched out across the map of the world and of my life like great interlinking river networks, all flowing pure and imperfect and magic, complicated yet simple. Heartbreak doesn't require time. Heartbreak requires only feeling. Feelings deep as bottomless wells. Feelings I could never feel before and they rush through me like the roaring rapids of those same rivers. And I render myself glad to find tears because it means I'm alive. I'm alive and well and heartbroken, and I've seen the Alps now the same way a god must see them. Love has never needed time to grow. Love only needs you to give everything without fear. Thank you very much for listening. I had the great honour of reading with my next guest, thanks to Anne Tannum and Fiona Bulger, when we were both featured guests along with Eileen Dupreer at Who Let the Books Out here in Dublin last month. She is an Irish-Scottish writer based here in Dublin and the founder of the fabulous Tourist Press. 
The winner of the Hennessy New Irish Writer of the Year Award for Poetry in 1999, her first novel, Canticle, was a joint winner in the 2016 Irish Writers' Centre Novel Fair competition. She has penned four collections of poetry, including In Flight and Learning to Tango, is currently working on her second novel, and her first collection of short stories, What to Put in a Suitcase, will be published in October this year. This is a brilliant Liz McSkeen. Hello, Damien, and hello, everyone, and thank you very much, Damien, for inviting me to share my poems with you and with your listeners. And I thought that I would read one or two poems from my various collections. I have four collections, one chapbook and three full collections. And the first poem that I'm going to read is from my chapbook, um, In Flight, which was published by Lapwing in Belfast in 1995 by Rennie and Dennis Gregg, who did an enormous amount of work for cross-community activity and still do. Uh, This poem was written before the Good Friday Agreement. Um, I used to travel up and down to the north of Ireland for work quite a bit, and it's clear from this poem that it was from a different era. Strategies. Panic batters at my sleep, hovers, beats on the window like a crazy drum, pauses, a dry scraping on glass. I can't bear the struggle. Wings fluttering in my cupped hands are crushed between finger and thumb. I turn over, searching for rest. Lamplight spills to the floor. On a dark Belfast street, I hail a taxi. Round here, you better phone for one, the locals say. Whirring butterfly wings throb the sky, an invisible warbird caught in a sheet of cloud. It palpitates, fades, there's no way through. I'm afraid to sleep now. Tomorrow, I know. Broken wings will litter my window, or in the night, brush my eyes, my lips. This is from my second collection, Snow at the Opera House, which was published um, in 2001 by New Island. In the Attic. Who the hell does Rochester think he is? keeping me locked up here with the barest of sustenance and no one but Wayface Grace for company. She brings more than food, she gives me information, takes pleasure in what she imagines is my distress. Some nights I see them for myself, that grey ninny with her plain dresses and parched lips, minding her P's and Q's, doing her best to entertain him without seeming to, assuring him she plays, oh, but a little careful to keep her cleverness to herself. Some nights I spy on her while she's undressing in that damp room they gave her with a narrow bed and mildewed streets and watch her practice doe-eyed in her looking-glass and touch herself. Her arms are thin but something flickers still, something darts out in those pert answers of hers. He does not care too much for them. Yet he may be fascinated by a spark if he's got the kindling of it. I blaze unbidden, don't do doe-eyed, so I'm up here and she's with him. What's more, be sure she knows of me, that I exist, that he's afraid, his shame. She's just decided not to know. And what a grace, what's her advantage in keeping me here? Money? 
Sheer devotion from the perfect servant who knows his station? Whatever. You couldn't do it without them. All those women keeping you safe from me? You're underestimating me again. I'm on my way downstairs to warm you up. My Jane Eyre poem. This is from the same collection and um, although it may not at first glance uh, seem like it, um, it is a love poem. Dream. It goes like this. My mother and I, just back from his funeral, exhausted and wept out from the grave and the whole of the year before. We open the front door and there he is, looking not well but definitely alive. He smiles gently, a bit sheepish, as if sorry for having given us all that trouble and explains that it was all a big mistake, some kind of a nightmare. He never died, was never buried, and here he is back with us for a while, and we all rejoice until it dawns on me that some day, probably quite soon, we'll have to go through the whole thing again, and this time it will be for real. I think it might be an omen of something big, a warning not to count on anything, a challenge, something like don't start anything you can't follow through on, and are you sure you're up to this? Because this isn't the stuff you get in pop songs or drone on about in poems. This is for grown-ups, and may include desperation, as one way or another, all things pass. A wake-up call, not to strategies or self-defence, but a call to surrender, to life, to the real thing, to love. So, um, I will move on now to my collection So Long Calypso, um, which was published in 2017 by Taurus Press. This poem um, was one I started when I used to go up and down to Cork, still do quite a bit. Uh, it was before the motorway was built and it actually um, took me longer to finish this poem than it did to finish the motorway. <laughs> so it's a sonnet, so that's it was official. 14 lines take longer than the Cork to Dublin motorway. So I solved the problem of it being called On the Road to Cork to changing the title On the Old Road to Cork. Then suddenly you're driving in the night. That happened when? A few townlands ago, around the time the walls of Cashel outlined on the sky began to fade. That stretch of road before New Inn, some chancer never knew his luck. At Mitchellstown lights flash, a red MG, horn blares, move over, where are yours? Too deep into the drive to turn your head, see things around you change. That truck, it blinds you, and for these three seconds anything could happen. Take it easy, slow, roadsides swimming through the dusk, now disappearing, eyes refocused on a single bright white mark that shows the way to journey's end into the dark. I'd like to finish with um, a poem from my most recent collection which is called Learning to Tango. It was published last year and it was inspired by my experience of learning how to dance the tango. This poem is called Tango Inspired. 
one magical night, all the hard boundaries dissolved, and you found yourself dancing intricate figures you didn't know you could do. For this new leader didn't seem to understand your limitations, or else chose to ignore them. Colgadas, Baxacadas, the swiftest of turns, executed perfectly before you knew it, far beyond what you had thought you could ever hope to reach. It was just one time. You don't know how it happened, only that it did. That in some strange alchemy of mood, music and leader, you forgot yourself for one enchanted tanda when the dance danced you. And what you found at its core was a great stillness. Thank you for listening. Next up, I am delighted to welcome a returning guest back to Eat the Storms, a Tyrone man now living in Belfast who won the Matrix Poetry Prize in 2017, and Button Press published his first chapbook, The Excellent Silent Stigma Loud Leaf, in October 2021. His second chapbook is due out later this year, also from Button Press, called Gently But a Dream. This is the neurodivergent excellence of Marty McKenna. Hi Damien, greetings everyone. A big hello from a sunny morning in Belfast. I'm thrilled to be back on Eat the Storms podcast. I'm going to read three poems from my second chapbook entitled Gently But a Dream. It'll be available in October. Uh, this book looks at grief, self-medication, intrusive thoughts, and of course living with a long-term serious mental health condition among other things. So without further ado, I'll read my first poem. Every time I look at the glass, it's more than half empty. Like the flutter of a moth, I return and return, fill and refill the air with chaos. Another day done, another bottle, another hand wet with the way you slipped through my mind. Silk flutters across the eye in minute moments of what I perceive, twice the speed. And before it slips between my fingers, I carve an R from the other side of the day, close my notes to be closer to this now, carry this one to you. Peelings on a Sunday afternoon slithers with soil in the sink. This was in the morning while you were at mass. The radio tuned to a static station or a time-worn tape, my thumbs getting it all wrong. Took a steady hand to carve. It's been a roast dinner every Sunday since, until it wasn't. That curl of beef still laps round my tongue. Gravy from the fat of roast, garlic, Fedge, closer than ink to this mouth. But how would I know hands did one, hands did the other, hands could love me in very different ways. Your heart attack got to me. I couldn't be there for you. 
I couldn't be there for you. I wasn't there. I wasn't there, but I'll get there. I'll be there. It was the middle of winter in purgatory, as the staff called it. There was only a thin blanket on the deathbed. The heat was on 24-7. It all changed. Red was the colour of the day. If I looked at red, I was safe. Strawberries were the only thing I could eat down in the oasis. One of the elders from heaven, seated at the head of the table, read. When I sat beside her, she recounted a hazardous day recited directly from my diary. I firstly wondered how, secondly accepted her warning, limp. Kieran with a K, Kieran with a C, had me reassess my loyalties. All I can hear are my footsteps now, clicking a rhythm to the hum of her black refrigerator. Just might break my thirst over the head of it. Next up, we are heading to the west coast of Ireland for a poet who has always been fascinated in creating, whether that was art, music or writing. A fascination with all things animals, watching and re-watching planet Earth multiple times, she now has a wider range of topics from mental health to environmental conservation to equality issues. I am delighted to hand you over to the poetic stylings of Rosha Curran. We held a foot over the tortoise, stomped down hard and broke the shell, and with it, the Florida moth. Tiger pelts and blue whale blubber, welcome to the club, little creature. Grow old, you may be the last to. We cannot utilize you, exploit you, and so we will not preserve you unless pinned dead behind dusty glass to be overlooked in a museum with little beauty to admire and no name to be proud of. Florida moth, you will come and go, and you will not come back, like a ship sailing through the triangle, lost to time, lost to man, although man never cared, not really, save for the entomologist. So go and die a peaceful, silent death, the consequences of our meddling. And Lord, may we meddle no longer. Hi, I'm Rosha Kern. I'm from Galway, Ireland. I'm 19. And that was my poem, Florida Moth. Um, Florida Moth was inspired by a Tumblr post of all things, but the Tumblr post basically was talking about how humans do not care for small insects or like creatures that don't have any kind of value to humans. Um, the moth in question, its Latin name is Serratophaga vicinella. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. And it has no English name at all. It has not been named. But its larvae feed on the shells of dead gopher tortoises, which are also endangered, hence why it's dying out. I am so interested in biology. It inspires me every day. Um, to write poems and, and to draw pictures and to write songs and all of this 
stuff. I'm rather creative. <laughs> Everything inspires me. Music, art, video games, poems, films, human creations. It's so fascinating how we can turn the world into something. But we can also destroy the world and that is what my next poem is about and it's called Royal Flush. Call me a jester and dress me up in a hat with bells and huge clown shoes that trip me when I walk and tell me you are too pathetic for your boots when I fall flat on my face in front of the court as they clap and giggle and watch me dance to the sound of the bells on my dunce cap. Content is king in the internet age. Sell your soul to the monarch or starve in the streets. Lick boots, kiss his royal hiney. Grab that little red heart in the corner of your face card and quit whining. It's your fault you don't have that hashtag relatable feed. How ironic they call it a feed. Let them eat cake and nothing less sweet or they'll get a bad taste in their mouth or far worse, develop one. Billionaire boys and their advisors, far too sallow for technical their trousers, much too grim for leg of mutton sleeves and banefully, insufferably thrown hungry. So hungry, in fact, they'd guzzle stocks before they soup, and gobsmacked, bellies full, wonder where their dinner went. So, burnt out and exhausted, we'll all shuffle our way slowly, bells jingling, backs aching from carrying the weight of their wealth towards the guillotine. This next poem is called Being Seven and it was inspired by my sister. When I grow up, I want to be a taxidermist. Class eyes rolled upward. They've heard this all before. But the mothers and the fathers, how they spat. For a little girl to dream of skin stretched over metal wire. Would she not sew up a dress instead of a gorilla's chest and feel just as fulfilled? She had brought a stuffed animal to show and tell. A hedgehog she had borrowed from the local wildlife centre. All spiny, small and still. She had carried it in on the bus thirty minutes in a clear acrylic case. She had opened the case for the presentation. Offered a hand to the mortified creature, stroked its spikes, much to the children's delight and their mother's disgust. And, when she finally folded her flashcards and closed the coffin lid, something in the classroom lifted. The harmless dead, put to bed. Glass eyes rolled upward. This last poem is called Chicken Run and it's about animals again. <laughs> There's no knock. There's no doorbell. No. Honey, I'm home. When the mink slithers in through the gap in the fence and into the hen house where the chucks are asleep in the straw. There's no squawk. Not a cluck. Not a sound to alert all the girls on their eggs till the rooster shrieks, stop, and starts a fuss and the open-eyed fowl scream, why us, why us, as the mink takes their throats and his lips and rips feathers from flesh and flesh from necks till the hens lie dead in the blood of their bed while the mink scurries out of the chicken's shed.
For my last guest on Lead the Storms today, we are finally leaving Ireland and heading over to the United States for a narrative poet who finds occasional humour in growing old, past events, familiar objects and even relationships. Living in southeast Idaho, he's worked as a teacher in public schools and a local community college and as a bookseller for a retail store. Here, sharing his poetry with us that is a snapshot in time, I'm delighted to introduce you to William Peters. Hello, my name is William Peters. I am a writer of narrative poetry. I currently live in southeastern Idaho. I would uh, first of all like to take this opportunity to thank the host of this podcast for inviting me to be a guest. Uh, It's very much appreciated. For many years, I wrote my poetry without a thought of having them published. And then a couple of years ago, at the age of 74, I decided that it was time to gather up all my poems and publish them uh, as a collected works. And that's what I did. In January of this year, my first book was published, and it was the collected 25 years of my poetry. The title of the book is Writing in Sand, and it is available uh, on Amazon in paperback form. The first poem that I would like to read from that collection is entitled Last Time I Checked. It's a day in May. Tulips started crusting through the snow in February before they stalled with a new blitz of snow. They just stood there without a thought of shivering while I regretted having to take off my glove to grab my key. Well, all new things are tough to start off and then age sets in to do its dirty work like a stalled-out lawnmower that just refuses to fire up for a new spring growing season. Now the tulips in May are old like me, and they don't look so healthy. But I've got the edge on them. Now I'm feeling like the tough one instead of them. Their reds and yellows aren't as vibrant, and their petals are starting to wrinkle up. Welcome to my world. It's overtime. The next poem from the collection is entitled Coco the Gorilla. Coco died the other day at the age of 47. She had this command of language that I admired. With sign language, she commanded 2,000 words and her compassion for holding a kitten as a friend cannot be matched in today's age of humans. Darwin's theory of evolution still causes quite a stir, but we could have learned a thing or two from Coco's vocabulary skills and caring heart. Twitter was never ready for Coco's hands and figures. Those huge fingers that talked with us were the same fingers that smoothed a kitten's fur and held it to her heart. 
The next poem from the collection is entitled Evening Sun. Evening Sun drops below a ridgeline some 200 yards beyond the reach of my hand. Standout colors fade before me like unmarked daylight moments when I did not break to watch. This sunset sky shakes me down with shifting oranges and reds. I pull to the roadside and roll down my window. Crested wheatgrass stands before some dark brush in the soft gray shade. A four-post fence follows the ridgeline bottom and my eyes pivot up. Pine tree sentinels stand atop like curtains for the sun's last show. Too soon the shocking colors leave me and I am left with the grays of my unmarked day. The next poem is entitled, Old Tomato. How many times did I look at you on the counter and think about putting you into a salad or a sandwich or just taking you into my hand and maybe taking a bite of your firm juiciness so it could run down my chin with enough flavor to make me close my eyes and smile and laugh. I would return again and again for more of you. Even with such a strong pull, I passed you by for something else. I see you sitting there now like an old man with wrinkled skin, with time eating him up from the inside. Will you be tossed or savored at last? The final poem that I'll read from my collection was written while I was staying in Morgenporth, Cornwall for a couple of months. The title of the poem is Forgotten Gift on Trenance's Hillside. Climbing the path above the beech cove cliffs, I see a welcome sight, a bench with wooden posts set into concrete support legs, leans forward on the tilted slope as if reaching out to me. The hillside grass is long and invites me to come forward for a closer look. I'm ready. I walk up and sit on one end to rest. I am high above the cove, the beach, and the surf. I sit short-sleeved in the breeze. Waves below echo up to me. This pause in the sun is just right. On the other side of the bench, I see what someone left behind in the sun. An unspotted banana and I sit together in the sun. We are here 
but not of here. We are here for a while, and then we are gone. Okay, before I leave you this evening, I'm going to share with you a poem and dedicate it to Anne Tannum as she picked it as the first winner of the creative writing poetry section of Holding It Together Apart, an initiative which was set up by the Dublin City Council during COVID. This poem is called Funny, the oddity of this odyssey after Joyce. Funny, isn't it? Bathing. Morning after waking like drowning the dream. Tasting. Eating. Drinking. Old pants out. New pants on. Up. Under. In between. Tightly tucked so as not to protrude. Protract. Put away. I'm always centre. Others are right or maybe left. And then it's coat, car, blow someone a kiss or kiss yourself in the mirror if no one has lingered longer, stayed, stained the sheets with sweat or that scent of something sweeter. And then we're off, out, riding with the traffic, tightly tucked and now taunt, trying to get through the thoroughfare, the teasing, the tweezing, the twitching, the thinking about all the hours, ticking the tedium, the tick, the tit, the tat, the time I stayed and he left, the taxi where I held his hand while running through other traffic of another town, and then work. Greetings and coffees and doors and cubicles and pissings and shittings before chairs and desks and turning it all on and counting down to when you can turn it all off again after the meetings and the lunches and the coffees and the cubicles and the odours and distractors and disruptors and protrusions and protractions and the tension and the pants still taut and all the thoughts in between buy milk remember not to smoke want to smoke smell smoke put it out Go home, cook, shit, shave, shag or not or more or wish. Use her hands, his hands, their hands, your hands, anyone's lips, pants down over hips. Pull the curtains, pull the lights, save the fucking dream you almost drowned this morning. Funny. Isn't it? And finally today, in honour of Dara Fleming and his train rides, this is from my forthcoming full collection, Enough, which will be published by the Hedgehog Poetry Press on the 29th of August this month. This is called Still Moving on Metros. Moments on the metro still moving, still cruising, Still choosing, still cosy with commuters not communicating. Commuter looks like communication, but no commuter communicates. 
moments on the metro still moving, still breaking, still stopping at stations where beggar enters with la chanson trying to get his chance on, prancing into pockets of passengers losing patience with moments on metro still moving, still making maneuvers along carriages of commuters consumed with new tunes on cool phones and handheld computers and foldaway scooters as cute girl eyes gay guy in grey shirt while another guy notices the mini of her skirt and dreams of dessert, dreams of slithering so slow along her carriage to drive his tiny train into her station like he was Spartacus the Tracian riding illusions vibration. Moments on the metro still moving, still chancing, still stealing odd glances between penning poems and nodding into naps with bags loaded onto laps of madames with makeup, making faces as if painting Picassos, checking mirrors to see if the eyes line up. Lines of metro still moving, still tearing through tunnels of non-communicative communicators, cool and classy and crazy and quirky and the man smelling of servation and stale streets and blackened feet, buskers belting out bad notes and getting worse looks instead of crisp notes, the red hat with the short skirt, the tall ones, the tired ones, the tourists plotting their positions on plans too small to be able to even pinpoint a pub metros making their way through moments between the darkness on tracks all laid and loyal not like our thoughts spinning and fretting about fitting fitting on fitting in fitting into trains and tracks and skirts holes cyber lives to make us whole in private compartments to crush us closer into strangers coming closer to scents and smells and stenches that choke us and breaths breathing onto backs of tensed up necks and unnamed neighbors slithering like snakes on tracks Taking us back and forth to and fro to work to home to him to her to zero to the pressing parties and improbable possibilities. Moments on the metro still moving through this underground, under the ground, under cars and bikes and feet walking and taxis swerving and cursing at bikes and pedestrians crossing the wrong way on the wrong side as the straight rain falls into puddles over gutters while the water trickles down from the daylight into darkness into tunnels where it finds us there with our moments on the metro still moving. Conformers and non-believers, gender X and gender equals, we've reached the end of another episode of Eat the Storms, the poetry podcast. My name has been Damien B. Donnelly and I've been your host and producer today and I'd like to say a huge thank you to you, all of my guests, for tuning in. Whether that has been on Spotify, Apple, Anchor, Google, Breaker, Podbean, Player FM, Overcast, Pocketcast, Castbox, Podcast Addicts or iTunes, whether you've tuned in today, tomorrow, next week or next year. And of course, huge thanks and appreciation to my guests on today's show. And they were William Peters, Roshi Kern, Marty McKenna, 
Liz Maskeen, Dara Fleming and Anne Tannum. And for details as usual on all of my guests, you can head on over to www.eatthestorms.com, click on the podcast section and there you will find a blog post for every episode with bios and social media handles for each guest. This was episode 13, season 5. Now, next week, I won't be with you as I will be in Bangor weeding with the fabulous Gaynor Kane at the launch of her new exquisite poetic examination of love, the poetry pamphlet from Hedgehog Poetry Press called Eight Types of Love. I'm very excited to be reading with Gaynor, Karen Mooney and Mary Montague at the Bangor Carnegie Library next Saturday. And then the week following that, we're having the launch of The Storms, our new journal of poetry, prose and visual art that's having its fantastic launch to celebrate the end of Heritage Week at the Casino in Marino here in Dublin, thanks to the Office of Public Works, the Fingal County Council and the Arts Council Ireland. So apologies for the next two weeks about our hiatus, but don't forget there are over 74 episodes with over 365 guests for you to tune into in the meantime across 12 different platforms. This has been Eat the Storms. I've been Damien B. Donnelly and until next time, stay